Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. If you guys haven't been here for the past few weeks, we've been in a series on the armor of God. I talked about how my wife has been telling me for like the past year to do a series on the armor of God. And we've finally gotten to it. So we've done the belt, we've done the uh, chest plate, and now we're up to the shoes. I couldn't necessarily think of a cool movie scene that showed shoes, so I showed that scene because there's just something about um, the depiction of how Vikings are so ready for death. Like they look so forward to it because of their version of Valhalla. And I don't know about you, but I Think of clips like that. And when I read Paul's letters about him talking about how he desires to go, but he'll stay for your sake. Me personally, I've never actually met somebody that really was willing to die or necessarily wanted to go on to the next portion of their life because that's how much they wanted to be with God. Maybe you've met people that are... um, you know, maybe at the end of their life, but Paul was kind of in the middle of his life and was still looking forward to what was to come. So to be honest, I just really liked that scene. So that's why you guys got to see it. Um, We're eventually going to get to like one of my favorite scenes ever. I'll probably save that till the last uh, series or the last message, which will be on the sword. So you guys are in for a treat. Okay. So today we're on the shoes of peace. All right, so we're going to go ahead and read our passage out of Ephesians chapter 6, go through it. We've been going verse by verse and like really unpacking it. What's the point of armor? If you guys remember, again, the armor of God is not some um, type of Marvel cinematic universe thing that God throws down and then like we wake up in the morning and we're like, God, give me the shield, you know, and a shield comes on and then we're like ready to go out there and um, battle Satan and his demons. You know, that's how it can feel a lot of times when you grow up in church or if you go to um, vacation Bible school, it can feel as though we're supposed to have literal armor on us, but they're actually biblical principles that you and I are supposed to walk out in our lives so that way we can be successful. We can be successful Christians and the call that we are given. All right, so we're going to go ahead and read verses 11 through 15. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read out of NLT if you guys want to follow along on your phone. Okay, so here we go. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Again, the reason why we want to be equipped is so that we can stand firm. Remember, the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's roaming the earth looking for whom he can devour, okay? And it talks about, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. So again, he's roaming, looking for whom he 
can devour, meaning he can't devour everyone if you are fully equipped, right? The verse says, therefore put on every piece so you will be able to resist, right? Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. So we want to be equipped with the armor. Um, Here we go. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. And he says, four shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. How many of you guys are like prepared people? You're just one of those people that are always prepared. I know a few of you that are never prepared, all right? You guys show up and you're barely clothed whenever you get there. The feeling of being prepared, I'm definitely not one of the type of people like my wife that just always has everything together. She always knows what she's doing, but spending so much time with her, I've gotten a little bit better. Some of it has rubbed off on me. Um, The job site that we were at on Friday, I literally went back to the supply store three times in the same day, guys. You know how messed up that is? One of the materials that I needed at one point when I was checking out was literally touching my shoe. And I had to drive 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. I wasted like an hour and a half that day in driving because I was not prepared. Does, is anyone else like that occasionally or is that just me? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting better, but that was just, um, you know, that was not a good day for me. Friday was not the most prepared day, but being prepared feels really good. You guys know, whenever you're like leaving the house and you're like, I won't need that, but I'm going to bring it anyway. Or, or you're thinking about your kid and you're like, oh, I'll just grab an extra package of wives. or I'm going to go ahead and bring that tool that I don't think I'll need. But then you need it and you're like, oh my gosh, like I needed it and I have it. And it feels so good. Like you feel so good when you're prepared, especially considering what the alternative is. When you look at the item and you're like, should I bring that? And you're like, I don't need it. And then you need it. And you're like, I was so close. I was so close to having it, but I don't have it. Like being prepared is an absolutely great feeling. And again, if you don't know um, kind of the backstory, we've talked about it in the last few messages, but Paul right now, who's writing the letter, is in prison. And while he's in prison, he's imprisoned by the Romans. So what he's taking this um, symbolic armor from is what these Romans look like, right? He's looking at their belts, their armor, and he's explaining how important the armor is for the soldier. And he's describing these type of key biblical principles that us as believers should be walking out. And he's claiming that this peace that comes from the gospel is like shoes that we can put on our feet, shoes of peace, because shoes are extremely key for being prepared. For many of us, that's like the last thing you put on. Like whenever you're getting ready, you put your pants on, your shirt, like you brush your teeth, all that. And then you put your shoes on. Like if you guys put your shoes on first, you're just like weird. Like that, that would be so odd. Like, could you imagine your spouse waking up in the morning and like the first thing they do is like put on their shoes and get in the shower. That's when you call somebody. Like that is when you call somebody and you're like, okay, I knew you were crazy, but now it's like for sure. Okay. Like shoes are one of those last key items that you put on whenever you are fully 
prepared, right? And each shoe that you put on is for a particular instance, right? For um, a particular style, if you want to look cool, um, or if you're doing a sport, right? Like each sport has a particular shoe because shoes um, supply stability. You're getting, um, whether or not you're playing a sport or something like that. I have a few shoes that I was going to show you. See if you guys know. You know what sport those shoes are for? Golf. Yeah, you guys know what brand that is? Yeah, footjoy. I think those are like the best golf shoes in my opinion. Also, it could just be um, like the marketing idea that I want my feet to have joy because I'm wearing foot joys. I don't know if it's actually true, but I wish I would have invested in them early on. All right, so next pair. Yeah, what sport is that? Baseball. Yeah, I heard, thought I heard someone say football. That would be like a messy interaction right there. Metal spikes with football. No, those are um, baseball. I don't know if you guys have ever held some of those $185 Adidas cleats. Like you pick them up and you're like, how could there be a metal spike in this? Like it just feels like a feather. You know, you grab the box and you're like, oh, it's empty. And you open them up and there's shoes in them. Like that's $185 well spent. All right, next pair. All right, what sport is that for? Track and field. Yeah, these were also, I was looking on them. I do not run like at all. Like the only time I'm running is if my life is in severe danger. And even at that point, it's like, is it really worth it? You know, like is running really worth it? That's something you do as a child and you grow up and you're like, I don't ever want to do that again. Like I just never want to run again. People that run might be a little off, okay? And we know a few of you guys that just keep running for fun, and I swear you're a little off, right? But I was looking at these shoes, they're like 210 bucks, and I was like, do I need these? Like, they look so nice, like, do I need these? But I I don't run. But the point is, there's a specific reason that they have them, right? It gives them the traction that they need to do what it is that they're trying to do. All right, next pair. Now, Does anyone know what these are? Because I do not, okay? These things were $2,000 on Google, and it looks like we just took Jack Sparrow's boat and shrunk it down and put it on our feet. Like, I don't know what it is. The longer I looked at them, I was kind of like, maybe I do like them. (laughs) Like, at first I was like, they're the ugliest things I've ever seen. And then after that, I was like, should I spend $2,000 on these right now? Like I had to get off the site quickly because if I walked out of the room wearing those, Allie would have some serious questions, right? Um, One last pair. All right, so these I saw on eBay for also a pretty penny. So I thought, you know, a good pastor might buy them, but a better pastor would screenshot it and show you the picture of them and save the money, all right? So that's what I did. These are some, um, I mean, they claim they were like replica, handmade, you know, Roman soldier shoes. If you notice that these shoes also have like little, they almost look like football spikes the way that they're round, but these look like metal. They would put these spikes on the bottom of their shoes and they claim that these Roman soldier shoes, they're called sudors. Did you guys know that? Some of you are shaking your head, you didn't know that. They're called sudors, and these shoes were designed to provide stability and mobility, all right? Stability and mobility for the soldier. Stability in their defense 
and mobility in their offense. So what they would do is they would drive these little um, open-ended spikes. I doubt that they look that pretty, um, but they drive these spikes in and they'd be all different because all the shoes were handmade by different people for thousands of soldiers. But they drive these spikes in. And again, whenever they were fighting, um, whether it was like muddy conditions or what be it, it was to, to supply them good footing because at that time, all the combat was hand to hand, right? And that's why some of the best movies are set in that time period, because who doesn't want to watch one guy beat up a thousand people hand to hand? Like that is cool. I don't care who you are. All right. But the point is, if your shoes are not supplying your stability, if you were to fall, slip or stumble, it doesn't really matter how good the rest of your armor is at that point. Like you could have the best armor, you could have the best technique, the best training, but if you find yourself face down in the mud, chances are you've already lost. Like one of the key points in a battle is to have good footing, more so then than even now, because at that time, um, you know, people weren't rolling around in tanks. You know, if the operator of the tank or of the fighter jet wants to take off his shoes, like, you know, it's not going to be that big of a difference, okay? At least I'm guessing. I've never been in a tank. I don't know if you're doing weird things with your feet. But as far as I know, you're not really using your feet that much, right? So you can take off your shoes. But in that time, stability, having a good grounded position was extremely important. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about today is how this peace in the same way that the Roman soldier had these shoes that would supply stability and mobility. We're going to talk about how peace that Paul is referring to is so foundational for a believer that it can, that it can um, supply not only stability in our lives, and that it can not only make us grounded as people, but it's also supposed to supply us with mobility. All right, sound good? So we're going to talk about stability and mobility, and we're going to talk about your shoes. All right, some of you guys need new shoes. I saw that as you came in. All right, so you guys might need to get some new shoes. For a lot of you, this is just um, metaphoric. All right, we're talking about a foundation for the way that we're meant to live. So before we talk about that, we're going to um, describe what this peace is. You guys know what the Greek word is in this verse for peace? Come on, you know it. Yeah, all right, so it's, it's shalom that's used in this passage. You sounded so not sure of yourself. All right, so shalom, as most of you guys know, is not just simply peace. It is complete peace despite your circumstances. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, and tranquility. All right, you guys should get that tattooed on you. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts be, not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. All right, so the reason why he says not as the world gives is shalom was kind of the basic um, way that you would part in ancient times. When we part today, we say goodbye, right? And when we say goodbye, we mean I'm leaving, see you later, you know, let's walk different ways, like I'll catch you later. But the word goodbye was actually um, deprived from this ancient word in the 1500s, which actually meant God be with you. 
Did you know that? So the word goodbye is actually deprived from the phrasing, God be with ye. And that's what they meant back in the 1500s when they used to say it. But today, when we say it, many of us are not thinking, hey, I'm leaving. God be with you. We're like, hey, I don't care where you're going, but I am going like goodbye. And what Jesus is trying to illustrate here is the world might just say it in a flippant way of passing, you know, shalom. And to us, it might mean peace, but to them, it was so repeated time and time again. It was just a way to say goodbye. And he's going, the peace that I'm leaving with you is completely different. The um, scholar William Barclay put it this way. He said, in the Bible, the word for peace, shalom, never means simply absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers us is the peace of escape. The peace which comes from avoidance of troubles and from refusing to face Things. And the peace that Jesus was offering was in the midst of trouble, you can experience peace. Like the gospel that Jesus um, offered up to all of us was not to necessarily make our lives better. In many cases, he said it would make it worse. So if you guys were invited into a gospel just because you're going to make more money or you're going to be happy or things were going to be a lot easier for you, like, I'm really sorry, I haven't quite found those passages in scripture yet, but the peace that Jesus offered was again, that imputed righteousness that we talked about last week, that great exchange, all of your messy, shameful things that we've done in the past and Jesus's righteousness that he exchanges for us. It's that portion of the gospel where he goes, hey, your life might be messed up, It might be hard, it might be difficult, but when you fix yourself on me, I'm offering you a peace in the midst of troubles. And that was the peace that Jesus offered us. And this is the same peace that's supposed to be foundational for us, something that puts our feet firmly in the ground, all right? This is the stability, the defense that we're meant to have. Isaiah 26, three says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. How much of your life would you go, you know, I live in perfect peace this percentage of my life? What would you kind of put that percentage mark at? I live in perfect peace 60%, 40, 30, 20, 10, you know, how how low are we going to go? How often do you live in perfect peace? How many of you would want to live in perfect peace? right? Like that is a nice way to live. It makes me think of that old meme. Do you guys remember with the character and he had his money out and he's like, take my money. It'd be this interesting invention. And they're like, take my money. I want it. Like the idea that you could buy perfect peace, like that would be well worth it. And Jesus offers perfect peace. But again, it's not just something that he downloads to us as believers. If you notice in Um, the passage that we read, John 14, 27, he just tells us that I'm leaving you with peace. But then he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid because the peace that he's leaving 
it's up to us whether or not we are going to live inside of it, whether or not we're going to put it on our feet to hold us in the middle of stability to keep us stable or whether or not we're going to take it off and embrace fear and embrace worry, all right? Because the passage says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So if you wanna live in perfect peace, it really depends on what you are fixed on, all right? If you guys heard the phrase, your gaze determines your flame, the flame that we're you know, burning for Jesus, the way that we are gazing on him, how much we're reading about him, how much we're fixed into what it is that he's doing. This is how you can be in the middle of traffic, or this is how your friend can text you and be like, hey, I heard so-and-so saying this about you. You, know, you can be in circumstances that normally cause us to get frustrated or angry or worried, and all of a sudden we're able to be in peace because the things that we value and the things that we care about are rooted in scripture and are not rooted in our, um, how comfortable we are, or how um, much money we have, or how things are going in our lives, or what people think about us. Because you see, what happens is kind of our um, nature as humans is we want money, we want wealth, we want power, we want people to like us, we want to get through life unbothered, we don't wanna be inconvenienced. We have all of these different things that we value, right? That's why we get frustrated in traffic or when people cut us off or when the lady in front of us at Walmart is like telling the person their life story and you're like, can you like skedaddle? Like I'm ready to you know pay for my stuff and, and go because I have places to be. This is why the roundabouts in the villages are dangerous places to be, guys, because villagers have to get home. They have to get to their tea time, right? Like they've got places to be. None of us want to be inconvenienced, all right? So we have these different values. And what happens is when we get inconvenienced or when someone's rude, it causes us to stumble to slide around and to fall and even though we know about God's imputed righteousness or we have scripture tied around our waist like all these things that we talked about we can find ourselves slipping in the mud and all of a sudden we're angry we're frustrated we're upset or we're annoyed all of these different emotions can come even though we have that other armor on and it's because we weren't actually stable in peace does that make sense we are meant to live in peace. And the way that we do it is to fix our eyes on the Lord. All right. Many of us come into church and we have like a momentary fixation, but then we go into our cars, we go home, you know, we live our normal work week and our fixation goes back to social media and it goes back to, you know, TV and videos and TikTok and all of this stuff, which is okay. It's fine, right? <laughs> I was going to say, which is great. And then I said TikTok. And I was like, no, <laughs> which is fine, right? But the problem is what we get fixated on, what our values transition into is so far from the standard that we're meant to have that things tend to trip us up. We don't actually live on the defense. And when the enemy, right, he comes prowling around like a roaring lion and he uses things that are going on in our lives. He uses people talking behind our back. He uses people um, saying things that are rude and hurt us. All these different like fiery arrows that scripture talks about. Instead of us standing firm in what truly matters and what we truly value most, 
if we truly had a value of scripture, someone cutting us off in traffic or someone talking behind our back doesn't get us all tripped up, angry, upset, frustrated, because we have our eyes fixated on what truly matters. The problem is it's a lot easier said than done, right? Philippians 4, 6 is a passage that we should really all have memorized, right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. All right, that peace when we can be going through a really bad situation, maybe you lost a job or maybe you're having health problems or maybe you're not too sure what's going on in your relationships and things that would normally cause people anxiety and frustration, those are the times that you can actually have perfect peace in the midst of struggles, right? How many of you guys would actually really like to not be anxious anymore? to not be depressed anymore. How many of you guys would like to actually live, it sounds almost like a gimmick, but to actually live in perfect peace for not just 30%, for not just 20% of your life, but let's say 85% of your life. Let's say 90% of your life, because you guys are still gonna you know, mess up and struggle, but I would say 85, 90, like we can shoot for that as mature believers, right? to live in perfect peace to the point where we have our eyes fixated on the values that truly matter, all right? That should be what it is that we're working towards. But again, it depends on what it is that we're looking at, right? We go home and our values get morphed by what it is that we are viewing. Romans 8, 6 says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, flesh like the things of this world, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set the life on the things of the spirit is life and peace. All right, so you've been told, um, you know, it's really common, maybe you've heard it before, like you can think it, but don't say it. Have you guys heard that before? A lot of times whenever we are growing up and it's for good reason, you know, when you're a child or you get older, you get disciplined for behaving poorly, right? Some of you didn't and we see you, we know what's going on, all right? I wish you would have gotten disciplined, but you didn't, all right? So, but the point is as children grow up, they get disciplined and that discipline helps them behave better, right? But the problem is no one can discipline your thoughts. So as we grow up, our actions and our words are disciplined. We learn how to behave and we learn what to say, but many of us never learn how to think. So what we do is we go about our lives and we allow our minds to think whatever we want. All right, we think things about people. We think things, you know, thoughts of anger or frustration or lust or any of these things. We allow our minds to think because we have been duped into the idea that you can think it, you just can't say it. And those thoughts actually end up overflowing onto our lives, right? Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful about what you think. Your thoughts run your life. And many of us have allowed ourselves to think whatever it is that we want, right? Scripture talks about holding every thought captive and bringing it into the authority of Christ, right? That's how we're meant to live. But yet many of us allow ourselves to think 
anxious thoughts, depressed thoughts, lustful thoughts, but we never actually bring them into the authority of Scripture. Because we know, hey, I'm not supposed to be angry. You know, this lady at Walmart's annoying, but I'm not going to start screaming and cussing her out because, hey, I'm a Christian, right? Like we learn those behavior um, kind of fixes. Like, hey, I need to be kind to people. I need to love on people. But many of us will sit there and be like, well, this is the most annoying person I have ever met in my life. You know, we'll, th- we'll think those thoughts. They'll run through our head or, or we'll look at, um, you know, things that we shouldn't be looking at and we'll have lustful thoughts and we'll go, well, you know, no one else knows right? The problem is we've duped ourselves into believing that it's okay as long as it's up here. But those thoughts that we're having are running our lives, right? The enemy wants you uneasy, filled with anxiety, worry, and lacking of peace. And the way that he does it is to get us to move our fixation off of Christ. He wants us busy. He wants us occupied because the busier we are, the more occupied we are, the less we're going to be fixed on Christ and the less of our lives we're going to live in perfect peace. All right, because everyone raised their hand. They're all like, hey, I want perfect peace, right? But then, you know, we wake up in the morning. We know how to get perfect peace, right? To have a foundation rooted in reading the scriptures or listening to a podcast or reading a book that's going to help you know more about God and know more about scripture. But what we do is we're like, eh, I don't really want to. You know, it's like when we want to lose weight and then we pass by McDonald's and you're like, do I really need to make food tonight? Like it's going to take so long. So we have the high value of losing weight, but we have the core value right now of, you know, I just want what's easy. And we have this high value of, I want perfect peace, but we have this core value of, I just want what's easy. And what's easy is for me to scroll on social media for an hour and a half. What's easy is for me to binge watch Netflix. And you know, a lot of people, and I say it to myself, right? I'm just too busy right now. I haven't really found the time to read the Bible. I'm going to, like I want to, but I've just been really busy lately. If you really do believe that, I would challenge you, go to your settings, click on general, scroll down to screen time, click on it. And when you see that you spend on average like three and a half hours on your phone, you might go, maybe I do have 10 minutes to read something important. You know, because a lot of us have been duped into believing that we don't have the time to fixate on what is important. But again, you don't have to. You know, you can live your life scrolling on Instagram and TikTok. More power to you, whatever you want. But this is the point is, if you want perfect peace, this is the map of how to get it. Does that make sense? If you guys want to watch movies all day and, you know, live your life like that, who am I to tell you what to do, right? I am a nobody. I am a little guy in skinny jeans standing up here with hopefully you think a really cool beard, all right? That is all I am, okay? So all I'm trying to do is point you towards scripture and let you know that was funny. I will admit. All right. (laughs) I wasn't sure if it was funny, but Victoria is about to die over there. All right. Um, The point is I want to point you towards scripture and illustrate that there is a way to live in peace. There is a way to live in perfect peace, but it's up to you whether or not you want to live a life of achieving it. And it's challenging, all right? Because get this, I'm speaking for myself, right? We can know a lot of scripture. 
We can know a lot. You can have it wrapped around your waist. You know, you can understand the righteousness, the imputed righteousness that we have of Christ. But if we lose peace, if we stumble, that is a place for the enemy to devour you in that area of your life. All right, that's why it's so important to have the stability so that you can stand strong and to defend. So when the enemy comes up and he's talking about, you know, you're worthless or, you know, God's ashamed of you, what we do is we stand firm in the rooted gospel. All right, so we stand firm and go, no, actually, scripture says I am worth something. God talks about that he loved, that he so loved. He so loved me and was willing to give up everything for me. That's why when Jesus was walking in the desert, right, and the enemy tempted him and tried to get him to sin, what did he always say? It is written. And that's the type of foundation and defense that we need to have. When the enemy tries to you know, talk, talk to us and give us these lies about who we are or what we've done or what God thinks about us, we should be able to stand firm in the gospel and what it is that we learn from scripture. James Allen, a super popular quote of his said, as a man thinks, so he is. As he continues to think, so he will remain. All right, I don't want you guys to practice insanity, right? Which is doing the same thing over and over and hoping for a different result. Many of us live lives of anxiety and depression. I know some of that can be medical, but a majority of it is not. We can live a life where we're constantly angry, where we're constantly frustrated. And what we do is we just hope something's gonna change. But there actually are steps that we can take to push us towards change, right? And that's what scripture is revealing here. So we need to be able to stand firm, all right? Stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. And the way that we do it is by knowing the gospel, by fixing our eyes on him. That makes sense, right? Basic stuff, it's just easier said than done. All right, so practical um, ways of fixing your eyes on him. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to become a monk, shave your head, some of you have already done that, and go and follow, you know, Jesus 24-7, all right? You do need to follow Jesus 24-7. The shaving your head is optional. Some of you, it is needed. But for most of us, it is optional, okay? But the point is we can have practical steps in our lives that point us towards fixing our eyes on Jesus, okay? Here are the practical steps. Reading our Bible, all right, ooh, all right. Reading our Bible is a practical step of fixing our eyes on Jesus. So if, you've, if you're like super green and you're like, I've never really read the Bible before, there's an app called the YouVersion app. You can download it. You have like 10,000 translations. I recommend reading out of NLT to begin with. It's a thought for thought translation. Click on NLT and start in like, the book of James or first Peter or something like that. Or if you want to read through the gospel account, you know, go start in Mark or something like that. A lot of people um, recommend John. Um, I kind of recommend John or Mark to start out with. Anyway, pick a book. And what you can do is you can even hit this little like microphone button in like the top right. You can click on it and it can read to you. And if you want to be really fancy and you're like, I don't want to listen to a man's voice, like you can make it a woman's voice and it will read to you. Like they have made it so 
much easier in, today, in today's day and age to get the gospel in you, all right? I talked about it last week. Shower time can be Jesus time. We're making shirts. They're not out yet. But whenever you go take a shower, normally people don't listen to anything in the shower, right? Click on James, hit the microphone button, play the first chapter of James while you are in the shower, all right? Guess what? What normally your eyes would have been fixed on whatever you happen to have been thinking about in the shower, now you get to start your day off fixated on what the gospel is teaching or what the scriptures are teaching. Does that make sense? All right, listen to a podcast, please, guys. I just don't want you to know nothing about Christianity or the thing that you claim to be living your life for. Please have some discipline to read. Read a book once a month. Please, please educate yourself. Read a book once a month, right? On average, it takes between 10 and 15 years to write a book. So if you read one book, you gain between 10 and 15 years of knowledge. Is that not the craziest thing in the world? If you were willing to have discipline, right? Discipline is choosing what we want most over what we want now. So I'm only talking to the people that want to be wise, that want to live in perfect peace, that want to be able to establish a strong, trustworthy family, right? To those people, make sure you're choosing what you want most. Reading scripture, again, 10, 15 minutes a day, establishing a foundation for understanding and knowing the gospel. Make sense? Sound good? Sweet. All right. So we talked about how uh, this peace can defend us against the attacks of the enemy. Are we all clear on that? All right. So it brings us stability, but it also brings us mobility, which I really like that word. I'm not too sure why, but it sounds cool. It brings us mobility because God expects us to go on the offensive and take the gospel of peace to others. So in the first aspect, the gospel of peace is for us. We learn um, you know, how it works, what it can do for us, what it is that Jesus has given to us. But in the other aspect, once we receive it, we should give it, all right? So when we receive the gospel of peace, we want to make sure that we are passing it on to the people around us. So in addition to standing our ground, shoes are also for moving. God expects us to go on the offensive and take the gospel of peace to others, right? Shoes are for travel. Unless you're a dog, you put shoes on them and they're like, you know, they can't even move. Has anyone put shoes on their dog? Like they do not move. But for the majority of the time, shoes are for travel. We put shoes on our feet because we're going to go somewhere. And that's the type of people that we should be. We should be bringing about the good news. Mark 16, 15, the end of the account by Mark, he said, or Jesus said, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. All right, this is part of our call as believers is to keep spreading what it is that we have received, the good news. All right, the English noun for gospel comes from the Anglo-Saxon term, God spell, meaning glad tidings or good news. Just in case you don't know that, that's what gospel and good news are kind of interchangeable because even though you screwed up, right? We talked about this last week, fell short, right? You chose sin. And in the eyes of an almighty, holy God, the penalty for sin is death. 
Death is not good, right? And God being so good, so loving, so generous, Jesus decides to take your penalty of death onto himself. And he goes, hey, you can have my righteousness. You can have my right standing with the Father. That's why when you enter into Christianity, when you confess with your heart, when you, when you confess with your mouth, if you could confess with your heart, come up and show us. That's cool. When you confess with your mouth, when you believe in your heart, you enter into this position of imputed righteousness, where when God looks down, he doesn't see Joe. He doesn't see Bert or whoever. He sees Jesus Christ, that same righteousness. He no longer sees all the sins of Bert, the shameful things that he's done. What he sees is the imputed righteousness of Jesus. That is the good news that we should be bringing to the people around us. And um, the other synoptic um, parallel passage of Matthew 28, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. So again, our goal as believers should be to pass on what it is that we have learned. All right. We should be making sure that we're pouring into the people around us. I use that setting all the time on my watch too to find up. Um, we should be pouring into everyone around us because we want to make sure that we're passing on what it is that we've learned. Isaiah 52, 7 says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The good news of peace and salvation and news that the God of Israel reigns. Romans 10, 15 says, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The interesting thing is um, in biblical times in the new church, when it was being established, there weren't really preachers like there are today. That's why you can't name a preacher in the Bible, right? You don't know of any pastors or preachers in, in the Bible because everyone was preaching the gospel. Like as soon as you stepped into Christianity, like you too were a preacher. Like you would go and you would preach to the people around you because that's how good the news was. Many times as this new form of Christianity or how Christianity has gotten older, many times we kind of just come to church, we hear like an uplifting message and then we go home. Like we're not really thinking about the kingdom that we're called to establish here on earth. We're not thinking about the calling that we have as believers. We're called to go and create disciples of all the nations. Okay. So we need to make sure, here's the challenge for you as a believer, we need to make sure we're creating disciples, okay? Not just believers, right? I don't want you, this is Corey's opinion. Um, I think it's scripture's opinion too, but obviously I think I'm right, so that's what I'm telling you. I don't want you just to go out and make more converts, okay? I want you to go out and create more disciples. Does that make sense? So we're not just getting people to... Um, uh, I think I can say it because it's so old. There used to be a church that someone worked at and like the slogan, like before they went out, they do a little chant and they'd go, get them under, get them wet. We haven't reached 300 yet. And the goal was, <laughs> the goal was to make sure they baptized 300 people 
every year, all right? Get them under, get them wet. We haven't reached 300 yet. But the problem was many times the people that they were baptizing, they would get baptized on January. And by February, they were living the same way they were in December. Does that make sense? So the goal isn't just to create more converts. The goal is to create disciples that are true followers and believers of Jesus. That's why Jesus says, go and create disciples. And he says, teaching them to obey the commandments that I have told you. Like the goal is to create real believers, real followers of Jesus. So the way that we do that is we make friends. How many of you guys like making friends? Some of you guys are good at it. Some of you guys are really bad at it. All right. So we want to be at least better at making friends. Some of you guys already have friends. You have family members. We want to find those people and we want to be intentional to help, quote unquote, disciple them. That means going up to the person and going, hey, you know, if you're already friends with them, don't do this like if you don't know the person just because they might think you're really odd and then they think the church is odd and then they think I'm odd, okay? So just do it to people that you at least have some form of relationship with and, and ask them, you know, would you like to do a reading plan with me? Would you like to listen to this podcast and we'll talk about it? Would you like to watch this video? Are you interested and like knowing more about Jesus, all right? You don't have to know everything. You just have to know a little bit more than the other person, or at least know different things than the other person knows. You don't have to know more, but different. And then you can help each other stay accountable to the gospel. Does that make sense? Okay, so as believers, get this, we should really try at least at a minimum to be discipling one person a year, Say one a year. That was really passionate, guys. I can tell you're, you're going to go out and you're going to do this thing. I can tell by the way you said it. All right. We should be discipling one person at a minimum a year. All right. There's this really cool thing. There's this book. This guy's like super passionate about discipleship. All right. And he kind of does all this math. It's not really that hard of a math, but this is the point. All right. So if you disciple one person this year, and you teach that person, hey, we're a Christian, like we're following the commandments of the gospel, you're gonna disciple one person a year. Like if you actually did that and you did the math and it kept multiplying, in 30 years, most of you will be here if you start eating better, all right? So most of us will be here in 30 years. In 30 years, we could have more than just by you, just by your little multiplication, one person multiplying, you could have over 8 billion believers. Now, you guys will probably screw up and fall short and some of them won't actually do it, right? We're all kind of messed up at some point. All right, but the point is you can have a whole lot of believers, a whole lot of true followers of Jesus if you would just be intentional with one person in one year, okay? You could actually be a part of bringing God's kingdom, right? We're meant to establish his kingdom here on earth. He said that the kingdom is here and we're meant to be a part of advancing it. You could actually be a part of advancing his kingdom here on earth just by being intentional with one person for one year. All right, actually caring about someone, actually loving someone, actually being intentional about maybe one of your coworkers at work, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, by just picking one person a year and being intentional, you could literally change an entire city, an entire nation, all right? I 
I don't think it would actually work that way to get to 8 billion, but the point is you hear the math and you're like, whoa, I can make a difference and you can, all right? It might not be an 8 billion difference, but you can literally change a city. You can literally change a town, a family. You can make a massive change just by being intentional with one person for one year. All right, again, if you are someone that actually believes in the gospel, that you actually want to honor God with the way that you live, this is what you're called to do. All right, this is what you're called to do, is to be intentional, to make sure that you are discipling people, right? The goal isn't just to disciple in the nations. The goal is to disciple whole nations, And we have to be intentional about establishing the kingdom that Jesus has put us, um, you know, has us working in to advance, right? We have to make sure that the gospel message is not just defensive because normally most people are excited about, hey, I can do things differently to have peace because in a way it's kind of about us. But a lot of times people don't get excited about being mobile, all right? And we need to be mobile. We need to make sure that we're not just living our lives for ourselves, but for the people around us. Because when we find how good the gospel truly is, we should be wanting to help the people around us actually get it. All right. So one other key word of advice, I'd also recommend discipling people you actually like. Um, a lot of people, they'll disciple people that they don't necessarily really like. If you're a person that just doesn't like anybody, then you are the problem, all right? But some people just click. Like, you know, you have some people you just click with and then you have other people, they're nice, but you like don't really click with them. You should try to disciple people that you somewhat click with because the goal is to create true friendship that when that person's going through something, you're there for them, that they wanna share with you, that you wanna be connected, that both of you have a higher goal that you're reaching towards, right? So the goal is you should, you know, have some form of connection, all right? And the other goal is, again, just be friends, okay? Be friends. All right, does that make sense? Ephesians 6.15, again, this passage that the whole message was about. Four shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. I want you guys to be prepared believers, I don't want you to be someone that shows up to a job site and doesn't have the materials that they need, all right? I want you to be someone that shows up in the midst of conflict, in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of um, a conflict between coworkers or family. I want want you to be someone that shows up prepared with peace upon their feet, someone that's able to stand firm in the midst of trouble so that way the enemy can't constantly devour you. I want you to be someone that stands firm in the gospel message and not only you, but that you teach other people to do the same. The idea of preparation is really just readiness. We must be mobile, flexible, and ready with the truth. This is a place to have in the Christian life to live in constant readiness and flexibility. Preparation is a word meaning a prepared foundation. The gospel provides the footing for everything that we do. All right, makes sense. Hope you guys learned something. That was fun. All right, so we're going to pray and we're going to go ahead and close. Again, I want you guys to make sure, key points, right? Key points. Focus on what is important. All right, if you really do have a high value, 
for knowing the gospel, for being wise, for actually walking out your mission as a believer, then you need to have some discipline for focusing on what truly matters, all right? Set a goal, talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, have someone hold you accountable because you need to read, all right? You need to read, you need to listen, set the version app to read to you, listen to it in the car, in the shower, whatever type of um, you know, habit you can put in place to where you can fix your eyes on what truly matters. And other than that, we need to make sure that we are mobile, that we find one person a year, all right? End of February, all right? You guys can't tap out for this year, okay? If you have not thought of someone, pray, okay? Pray and ask the Lord, God, is there someone that I can pour into this year? All right, is there someone that I can help, that I can be of service to this year? All right, and I would go ahead and ask the Lord, God, will you send them to me? Okay, because many times we want to disciple people, but they don't really want to be discipled. All right, so we want to make sure that we find people that are willing, that actually want to grow, that want to learn. So God, will you send me someone that needs to learn, that wants to be discipled, all right? So let's go ahead and bow our heads and, and pray. First thing we're just going to ask for the Lord is, um, you know, just tell him if you have not been living in perfect peace, you know, just say, God, I want to live in peace. Maybe you've been dealing with shame. Maybe you've been, um, maybe you've been dealing with anxiety or depression. And to be honest, you have felt really far from peace. God is so good and so merciful. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've come from. He wants to supply you with perfect peace. All right. But if you want that, then first you have to be a believer. And in order to be saved, it's actually really simple because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The Bible says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's coming to the realization that you have sinned, that you've fallen short and going, you know, God, I have sinned. I have fallen short and I'm sorry you know, repenting, turning away. God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't always want to choose my way, but God, I want to know you. God, thank you for paying the ultimate price for me. Thank you for dying for me, for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for taking all of my shame, my sin, my anger, my lust, and for passing over your righteousness to me. And that's what salvation is, coming to that realization where you're turning away from your sin and you're accepting that gift that Jesus has given you. All right, and that's when he talks about leaving his peace with you. You can experience peace. It maybe won't change your circumstances, but you can experience peace in the midst of your circumstances. God, help us to be focused on you. Help us to want to want you, Father. Help us to be more disciplined in our lives, to choose what we want most over what we want now. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.